In this episode, we'll check in on Richard's progress as his expedition reaches day 14. Yesterday was really hard. Physically, it was hard, but mostly uh, emotionally, it was really tough, actually, to feel like I was going backwards. The question, really, for him in his judgment is at what stage does he start changing gear and going for even longer hours? We'll find out Richard's New Year's resolutions. 2018 has been an incredible year. You know, I hope 2019 can be better than that. Plus, we take a closer look at what makes the South Pole such a unique place to see in the new year. The South Pole is such an amazing place to be, and it's an amazing place to even think about for a few moments. Let's do just that. This is Richard Parks, Antarctica. Hello, I'm Vicky Blight and this is the podcast following Richard Park's attempt to ski solo from the Antarctic coast to the South Pole, unsupported and unassisted, as fast as humanly possible. We'll talk New Year later in the podcast, but first, let me update you on where we are. Richard started last week in gruelling conditions. On Christmas Eve, he did a 12 and a half hour day covering 37 kilometres, 23 miles, but the deep snow was still causing problems. Forget my polk, he wrote. It'll be easier to drag the sofa in these conditions underfoot. It's hard and I am on the limit constantly. As followers of of, of the podcast will know, the weather's been atrocious so far this year. This is Steve Jones from the Antarctica Expeditions Company, ALE. A lot of deep snow and really the the worst snow conditions for trying to ski to the South Pole for, for many years. Deep snow was also a factor on Christmas Day. Richard decided to cut his day short, covering 31.3 kilometres, or 19 miles, in order to look after himself. I'm cooked, he said. I'm so tired and every step hurts. But at least a quarter of the journey was now done. The snow underfoot started to get firmer from Boxing Day, meaning Richard could cover over 40 kilometres, 25 miles, for the first of four days in succession. The updates from his tent were brief. Not a minute can be wasted. It's either ski, eat or sleep repeat. Richard is around a day ahead of where he was in 2014 when he set the second fastest time in history and broke the British record. He is currently about two and a half days behind Christian Ida's world record expedition in 2011. Even so, Richard was upbeat at the end of last week. This is what he told BBC Radio Wales's Wynn Evans on Friday. I'm still in touch with this. It's not quite over yet. Do you think, Richard, that you can make up this time you've lost? Yeah, I do. I, um... You know, there are factors outside of my control here, and that's the weather and the conditions. But, uh, you know, I've worked hard for this, and, you know, everything's going well at the moment. So, uh, fingers crossed, if things stay the same, I believe I've got a couple of big days in me to try and pull this back. Despite mixed weather conditions and a reintroduction to his old foe, Sastrugi, the ridge patterns in the snow and ice formed by the wind, Saturday saw Richard hit a maximum speed of five kilometres an hour for the first time. Part of a 15-hour day, tent to tent, 40% of the journey to the South Pole is now complete. But yesterday was brutal again with the return of soft snow underfoot. Richard skied for 10 and a half hours and covered 33.2 kilometres. A big day, but not quite big enough. He has literally got a mountain to climb now. Earlier today, I caught up with Richard to find out how the last 24 hours went and to find out what the week ahead holds. Uh, yesterday was a tough day. Uh, I hit soft snow again. So I feel like I'm back to square one a little bit. How's the body holding up? It's showing signs of stress. I sound a bit funny. I've got toilet tissue in my nose because I've just had a nosebleed for some bizarre reason. 
Yeah, so no, yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm as good as it can be expected, but I'm pretty pretty strained over here, I would say. So last 24 hours then, soft snow, what, what's it been doing in terms of the weather and, and how has that 24 hours panned out for you? I'd say the last five, six days, the actual weather conditions have been, have been pretty good. I've had some cloud cover, some, some poor visibility periods, but nothing prolonged like the, uh, like the early part of the expedition. The terrain underfoot, though, is, uh, has been really challenging. So it sort of it firmed up a bit maybe a few days ago, but um, now I'm hitting a little bit of sastrugi, which has obviously slowed me down a bit. And, but anyway, I was making good progress. I was certainly feeling confident. You know, morale was quite high. And then yesterday, I've, um, I've hit a period of, uh, of snow that, that feels like it's about a week behind everything else. It's just, just soft snow, just ankle deep snow again. So I'm... Um, Yesterday was really hard. Physically, it was hard because I was trying to maintain the same speed. But honestly, uh, emotionally, it was really tough, actually, to, to, to feel like I was going backwards. I've just seen the um, stats that have come in, and uh, you did another sort of 14 hours tent to tent yesterday. I mean, you've been putting in some massive days, like you say, over the last few days. You've been, you know, out 15 hours. You've been putting in a mammoth effort, haven't you? Well, yeah, Vic, you know, I... Um you know, I came here with the uh, with the ambition to ski it as fast as I could. You know, I know that's only one part of the Team Crest project, but it was a it was an important commitment to me to to try and go as fast as I can. And I'm uh, uh, you know I, I'm not going to give up on that. But it, it it's brutal here. I don't there's no other way to put it really. Uh, my first day was 19 hours, and then like you said, I've been holding 14, 15 hour days um, ever since, and. Uh, you know, that's just to keep me in the game, you know, but it's, uh, it's showing signs of strain. I'll be honest, I'm, 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 pretty, uh, I'm pretty whacked out here. What's your strategy then for the next week or so? What, what is the plan? Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of time to think out here. <laughs> um, I try not to, but I end up playing out strategies every hour in my, in my, in my head. The reality is, you know, I, I am doing and I have done everything that I can. Uh, for my equipment, for my training, preparation, skill, um, the decisions I've made so far, I'm, I'm really happy with. The reality is, I can only, I can only cover what's in front of me each given day, and it really is that simple. You know, I'm just going to keep getting up every morning, working hard, uh, covering as much distance as I can that day, and uh, and just hope that um, I've covered enough ground so that when you know, when it does settle, if it settles, you know, I'm still in the shot to, uh, to to call back some time. But, but the, the the reality is the, the, the snow conditions dictate absolutely everything. And uh, that's out of my hands at the moment. On the face of it, you know, 33K out here in the conditions is, uh, is a really big day. And I know comparatively to other expeditions, you, you know, I'm performing well, but, but that's not my yardstick. My yardstick is, is my expectations of myself and uh, and obviously the time goal of the expedition. Um, I guess the easiest way to describe it is if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're running or walking on the beach and you're on firmer sand, and then some bizarre reason you get a dry patch of sand and you just sink. And you can imagine that the, the amount of energy it takes to, to move just like trebles or quadruples and uh and that's what it's like 
What are you likely to face then over the next few days in terms of where you're at on the journey and and what's coming up in the next few days? What are you expecting in terms of terrain and and what you're going to pass? I think I've got some recalibration to do mentally and emotionally the next couple of days. And I think that's going to be quite hard. Physically, I, I think this will be the, the, the toughest part of the project by far. The middle parts of any project are often the most uh, the most challenging just because you, you hit the monotony of it. But like I said, physically um, and emotionally, I, I'm, I, I'm working at my limit here. So I, I'm going to have to dig deep the next couple of days just to stay on par. Uh, yesterday was really hard. And from a conditions point of view, I mean, I know what I can expect from previous expeditions, but the reality is, you know, this year is unlike any other year. So um, I, 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 I hope it, uh, it doesn't get any softer and I hope it gets firmer. You know, you can't predict or control what Mother Nature's going to throw at you. And, and she's thrown the kitchen sink at us this year, fair play to her. Um, <laughs> I hope she's out of uh, I hope she's out of toys now. That would be nice. <laughs> Yesterday, I spoke to Steve Jones from Expedition Company ALE to find out how he thought Richard was doing and whether he could claw back the deficit. He's doing exceptionally well. I mean, he's skiing in nautical miles more than about 21 and a half nautical miles a day, uh, which is about 40 kilometres a day. It's a, those are really, really big days. You know, his speed of travel when he's traveling is fast. And this is in very, very poor conditions with deep snow. Uh, worth reminding listeners that three individual solo skiers have, have given up on their expeditions to the pole this year because the conditions were so tough. Um, so for Richard to do so well in the prevailing conditions is, you know, is, is really exceptional. His level of, of effort, as you mentioned, is just incredible. The fact that he is regardless of the conditions pushing out these these massive days um and and significant speeds as well in the in the last few days yes absolutely his his numbers are great but with 15 hours on his feet including breaks or 15 hours out of a tent he he can't sustainably add very many more hours to his daily routine and make it sustainable because he needs ideally seven hours sleep to let the body recover from what it's doing He's probably got four hours, if not at least three and a half hours of snow melting and heating water and cooking time divided between morning and evening. So he's already, you know, his, his 24 hours are already fully occupied. There's no, there's no slack in which he can, you know, without, without compromising something. He can compromise on sleep a bit, but, but it's not sustainable. Um, and the question really for him in his judgment is, is at what stage does he start changing gear and pushing even harder and going going for even longer hours? And I would have thought that's probably in the last week from pole or week from week from running out of rations. Is it even possible to claw back that kind of deficit? Richard's performance is absolutely exceptional, and he's on track to be. You know, he's the second, if he carries on doing forty kilometres a day, that's the second fastest expedition to ever ski ever ski on this route to the south pole but it isn't as fast as christian Eider. uh so can he make it up i i doubt that he can to be honest he's 12 days in he's halfway through the time and he's done 38 percent of the distance so he he you know he's in an interesting position interesting being mentally a very tough position and 
I think it's taking on this challenge and being able to push yourself mentally and physically hard enough to make those miles every day, day in, day out, is super difficult in ideal conditions when things are going really well and you're making the miles. But to have the mental fortitude to keep going at that level of effort when you know you're behind schedule and perhaps even falling further behind schedule, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. The good news is, as he skis further south, the snow conditions should improve a bit. I think he's at 83 degrees, 50 minutes south. So he's nearly 84. 85 degrees is about halfway. Um, He's got another degree and a half probably to go before I would expect to see much improvement. So in the next few days, are going to be more of the same, but he does have a prospect of some of some improving conditions further south. From the remaining days and from his remaining food rations, what would be your strategy then? Would it be about speed? My, my, if I was him, my strategy would be to slowly extend possibly the days in the, in the coming week and try and claw back a little bit of a, de- of a daily deficit. And then uh, with a week to go, I think I would have a, have a redo the maths of what I need to do on a daily basis and be willing to sacrifice sleep for a few days to have a go at just doing longer hours. And will the weather in the next seven days allow Richard to start pulling these sorts of bigger days? How's it looking? Quite a lot of sunny weather, quite a lot of blow, strong winds. For the first few days of January, it looks like pretty windy, pretty gusty weather, uh, which is good news in the sense that strong southerly catabatic winds blowing from effectively the pole, uh, will dry out the lower layers of of the atmosphere, the lower levels of air, and should give Richard better visibility, clearer skies and colder conditions. Fingers crossed it's like like country far with a slight break for the the weather, which (laughs) which I love. I love. It's like the weekly look at the weather. It's brilliant. So it's New Year's Eve. How will you be seeing in the new year? House party? Out in a queue for the bar? 20 people deep? Uh, maybe watching the fireworks on the telly? In all of those options, I should hope you'll be warm and relatively comfortable. If you're seeing in the new year in Antarctica, you're likely to be in temperatures down to minus 20 degrees Celsius. Nonetheless, the bottom of the world is a pretty amazing and unique place to be seeing in the new year for two reasons. Firstly, if you want to, you can see in 2019 in every time zone in the world. All the lines of longitude converge at the pole and all the world's time zones converge at the pole. Steve Jones. So if you're standing at the South Pole, you can walk around the world crossing every time zone, every line of longitude in just a few steps. Different bases in Antarctica operate on different time zones and they usually operate on the time zone of the nearest country that their logistics come from. So the American Antarctic station at the South Pole runs on New Zealand time and all the American bases on that, heading back to McMurdo, their main base, and and back to Christchurch in New Zealand where their logistics come from, they all operate on the same time zone, which is GMT plus 13 hours. Our base at Union Glacier, we operate from Chile. So we operate on Chile time, which is three hours behind UK. Rich will arrive at operating on Chilean time, uh, so GMT minus three, and suddenly he's got a 16-hour time zone change if he wants to switch to New Zealand time. So in, in reality, skiers and expeditions at the pole don't. They just operate on a 24-hour day and, uh, and, and make sure you set very loud alarms. 
And then there's a second, more ceremonial part of New Year in Antarctica at the geographical South Pole, which, as both Steve Jones and Richard explains, is one of two South Pole markers. When you arrive at the South Pole, there is quite a lot of things there. There's a large United States Antarctic program based on the Amundsen-Scott base, which is the size of a reasonably sized school. There's several science labs. There's astronomy labs. It's one of the most amazing places on Earth for science. So there's quite a lot of infrastructure there. And outside the buildings, there are two poles. There's a ceremonial pole, which is on a short barber's pole, with the flags of the original signatories to the Antarctic Treaty around it, which is a great backdrop for photographs and then about 100 meters away there's the geographic south pole the actual south pole the actual geographical south pole marker is this innocuous pole in the ground with with quite on an ornate piece of art or an ornament on the top of it Uh, and you can quite easily walk past it but that is the actual geographical south pole where all the lines of longitude converge the flag or the post marking the geographical South Pole at 90 degrees south is put into the snow and ice on the snow surface. And the ice itself is moving over the land mass 3,000 metres below or however, however deep it is at a rate of about 10 metres a year. So in different parts of Antarctica, the ice moves at different rates, but at the pole, it moves at about 10 metres a year. And so by the end of the year, the geographical pole marker is no longer on the South Pole. And so at the start of every year, there's a ceremony of remeasuring and picking up the, the South Pole marker and putting it back where it actually should be on at 90 degrees south. Richard was at the ceremony during the first leg of his 737 challenge back in 2010 into 2011. Every year, the scientists from the American base and I guess anyone who's at the South Pole, if they're lucky enough to be invited in, form this this semicircle and they take the old marker out of the ice and they pass the marker between everyone. So everyone's part of moving the marker and they put a new ornament on top of the marker every year in its new position to, to compensate for the, uh, the glacial flow, which is approximately 10 metres a year. So it's a really, really cool thing. So the pole itself isn't moving. But if you could drill, I had a very long flagpole, and drill through all the snow and ice that's sitting on top of the land mass, the land underneath isn't moving. But it's the ice cap sitting on top of the land is flowing very slowly like a glacier. So it's the ice that is moving relative to the stationary Antarctic land mass underneath. So it's imperceptible to you when you're stand, standing there, but, it, but the ice is very slowly, slowly moving. Then there's a kind of a party there and, uh, and then life goes back to normal in, in, on the bottom of the planet, which is anything far from normal, I guess. It is clocking over uh, into 2019 in um, however many hours' time. This is our New Year's Eve episode. Um, have you, you said you've got plenty of time to think out there. Uh, any kind of key New Year's resolutions that keep popping into your head? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, most of my news resolutions revolve around people and around um, you know personal development. And twenty uh, eighteen has been an incredible year, probably my my most incredible year. And um, you know, I hope twenty nineteen can can be better than that. There's been a huge amount of effort and time and work that's gone into this project. As a result of that. 2019, you know, I'd like to really make time to spend with family and friends. There's also still a lot of work to do on the Team Quest project, so I'm really looking forward to coming back and, uh, you know, getting my teeth into the education and some of the learning objectives of the project. And that's going to be really fun, actually, because there's a lot to come out of it, fair play. 
And then, you know, it's uh, it's about personal growth and having fun and being in the moment and, you know, make, making the most of every opportunity that, that, that you've got. And before you go, your performance coach, Nicola Phillips, received an OBE in the New Year's Honours. What's your reaction to that? I'm so, so proud of, uh, of you, Nick, and uh, I'm so happy for you, mate. It, it's an amazing honour and it's incredibly, incredibly well-deserved. Nick is an inspiration to me and, and to so many others, and... Uh, I know that she's helped so many other people as well. And it's amazing that her honour has come uh, for recognition through her peers. And, 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 and you know, what, what, what a wonderful way to get recognised. It's part of me that giggles when I heard about it, because anyone that knows Nick knows that she'll do anything to avoid the spotlight and, uh, and to be thrust right in the middle of it like this. I just think it's hilarious, the irony of it. But, uh, yeah, mate, listen, have an amazing day, Nick. I hope you enjoy going up to Buckingham Palace and uh, look forward to seeing the photos of, uh, of you and your flock, mate. Right, I'm going to let you go, let you get focused, um, but know that um, we are literally constantly thinking of you and, and we're right there pushing beside you and we know that you can do so much and you already are doing so much. So um, just keep going, big fella, and um, we'll speak to you soon, yeah? Cheers, mate. Have a good day. Uh, have a happy new year, mate. And all of us in Team Quest echo Richard's congratulations for Nicola Phillips on her OBE. Next time, we'll get into grips with what everyday life looks like on an expedition in Antarctica and what kit you need with you. I will develop a really unhealthy relationship with the sled. It's a really bizarre thing, but imagine something being attached to you 16 hours a day for 20 plus days. That's next time on Richard Parks, Antarctica. Thanks for listening. To follow Richard's 715-mile journey to the South Pole, click subscribe to get regular podcasts for free, downloaded to your phone when they are ready. And if you like what you hear, then why not give us a rating and a review? Richard's determination in difficult times is inspiring everyone following his expedition. Podcast listener James says he's booking a short trip to Norway to learn about skiing with a polk. The man is simply incredible, yet so humble, he says. Reviews like James's help people find the podcast more easily. And don't forget, you can become part of the Team Quest community on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Vicky Blight. Richard Parks Antarctica is a Bengo Media production for Team Quest. And we're all wishing you a very happy new year.